have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Fanalist.pod. Sean Ramachandran here with you, joined by Rohan Ranjan and Yash Yoshi on yet another NBA podcast. Um, usually tends to be the same stuff every week. We're talking standings, injuries, latest trade rumors, everything. So I guess it's just become a common theme to start off with the Eastern Conference. So let's get right into it. Miami Heat still at the top of the Eastern Conference uh, right now. But basically, this team is 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. They're coming. Their most recent win was, of course, against the Lakers. We'll get to their problem in just a bit. But Jimmy Butler coming off a nice triple-double. Of course, we did talk about Bam Adebayo coming back to this team um we expect them to hopefully stay in the top three for the foreseeable future unless of course you guys want to interject and say no over there takers nope okay you guys are not in your head of course we're not on audio right yet but anyways moving on to the chicago bulls i think this is the team that we really need to focus on this team i feel like we all had them finishing in the top five for the most part but they were the number one seed in the eastern conference for you know, a while, of course, having the tiebreaker over the Nets more times than not. And now they're at the second seed, but they have a lot of injuries, guys. And it, it sucks that this team is probably going to, like, get hit by injuries right now. Obviously, Derek Jones Jr., as of Jan 13th, he's expected to miss two to four weeks. I guess that's not your biggest name to keep an eye on. But Lonzo Balls of January 20th had to undergo left meniscus uh, surgery, and that's expected to sideline him for up to six weeks. Um, that's the best-case scenario. And then Alex Caruso, of course, had a bad fall um, against Bucks. Grayson Allen, who has now suspended one game for that flagrant foul that he caused on Alex Caruso to break his wrist, and he is out for, I don't even know. They, they've not actually even set a time. It was six to eight weeks was this uh, sad time because he has to undergo surgery, but – where do you guys see the Bulls kind of finishing now? Because they're three and seven in their last 10. Barely escaped my OKC Thunder last night. I just want to say that, all right? It's a 28-point deficit. They cut it down to one. I guess a win's a win, so Chicago walked away. But, like, what, what's going on in Chi-Town? So I think, like, it's unfortunate what the Bulls have gone through the majority of, like, this season with all their injuries and now what Grayson Allen did. He's He's been a dirty player since college, and I think, unfortunately, I thought it changed when he was on the Milwaukee Bucks, but things just come coming back. And now Alex Crusoe, one of the Bulls' best defenders, is out for a while. So I think that Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic, and Billy Donovan are going to kind of have to pull some of the magic from last season that barely snuck them out of the playoffs and just stay at around 500 because they're already such a good team with all their stars that if they can play 500 basketball until they're Alex Crusoe, Lonzo Ball, at least for those two main players, come back for the playoffs, they can be a dangerous team, even if they're like a six seed. So as long as they're in the playoff picture and stay out of that plane, I think the Bulls should be fine. Yeah, obviously it sucks with all the injuries that they've gone through these last couple of weeks, uh, but they've lost six of their last eight and they've been bottom five on both the offensive and defensive end of the floor over their last uh, eight games. DeMar is still doing good. He's still shooting. He's averaging 27 points per game and uh, averaging true shooting percentage of 58.8%. But the problem is that Vucevic just hasn't been able to pick up the slack as that second star, um, you know, because Levine's been hurt. And honestly, Vucevic has had a pretty underwhelming season overall this entire year. And I think if he can't figure it out down the stretch, that's going to be a big problem for the Bulls. So I'm not as optimistic as maybe Yash is, uh, especially with these injuries piling up for them. It just seems like it might be too much to overcome unless Vucevic can uh, pick it up. Even though Levine is going to return this week, I think that they are going to be a little bit more favorable going forward, at least for the next couple of weeks, because they have eight straight games against teams that are currently below uh, 500. So at that stretch began on Sunday and it should continue for over, I think a, l- a little over 10 days now. So if they can kind of, you know, they haven't been so strong uh, to start the new year, but if they can kind of regain their you know, mojo and beat these kind of lower end teams, even without their best players, that's a good sign moving forward. But Vucevic has really got to step up his game. Yeah, most certainly. And I think that this team will, of course, you were saying in regards to Zach Levine, he is back, by the way. He did play last night against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. But um, looking at the stretch um, right now, I feel like, you know, you're right. I think that the only team that looks kind of tough is the Sixers on Feb 6th and the Suns on Feb 7th. 
Um, but other than that, you know, it's, it's kind of smooth sailing for the most part for Chicago. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if this team does drop a little bit, but I wholeheartedly do expect this team to finish. And I believe actually the top four, I want to say, um, by the time the season kind of uh, ends, because that's just how good they've been. We've seen what they can do when they're healthy. Um, and of course, you know, the Nets moving on to them right now, they already have their issue with, you know, Kyrie Irving not being able to play in those home games. And I think that that's obviously caused a little bit of turmoil within the organization, as I want to say, um, as we just got reports today, uh, earlier today morning that, you know, James Harden is probably going to be testing free agency um, later. And that is a lot because of Kyrie's status of just not being able to play has played a little role in that, but it's also that he's just not enjoying, I guess, Brooklyn as a city perhaps um, compared to how he did in Houston. Um, I don't know how much of that, is really translating onto his on-court issues or chemistry, lack of chemistry, therefore. Um, and I, I think that it is very, you know, alarming to hear that stuff now because you don't want to hear that about a star player mid-season um, because I just it, just it just causes locker room drama. And I think that you guys know this better than me, especially with Kevin Durant um, in Golden State. It was never like that during his time in OKC for sure. And I feel that when OKC blew up with, you know, Paul George and Russell Westbrook, there was no turmoil during the season. All this just kind of came out at the end of the season. We're like, all right, they're going to blow it up. But, you know, when you have a huge market team, you have that attention when you have a Kevin Durant, a James Harden, a Kyrie Irving, it's tough to not have more than at least three cameras on each of those guys. If you get what I'm saying, you know, multiple, multiple media outlets over there. So my question is to you guys, you know, this team is five and five. Kevin Durant's obviously um, banged up. He he's out for a bit. It's up to James Harden to lead this team. And we just have not seen James Harden and Kyrie Irving really coexist and bring out the full potential of both of them on the court. And I don't know if that's a, Steve Nash issue or it's a hey James Harden's ego issue or you know Kyrie just being Kyrie um but before you guys do jump in I'm just gonna say that I feel it's more of James Harden's ego kind of coming into play over here compared to Kyrie because if anything what I've seen from Kyrie this this season at least since he's joined the court is that it's been very quiet it's been very quiet in terms of it's just Kyrie's like we don't even know when Kyrie's playing sometimes so we're like oh the Nets are on the road oh Kyrie's playing it's never been like, oh, Kyrie has an issue with this. Kyrie's an issue with that. He's back on the court. He's doing his job. It's just X's and, X's and O's for him. And I think it's more of a James Harden issue. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also do have to kind of talk about Kyrie Irving just because he's been such an impediment to the Nets overall. And as someone, if I were in James Harden's shoes, someone who gave up his old home in Houston to come play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, at least last year, we thought that was going to be the duo and James Harden was going to be joining them. But now James Harden, he's also in the later end of his career. So he probably just like Steph, LeBron, KD doesn't want to hold as much pressure or of the just like the offensive duties that he usually did in Houston and maybe that he again has to do in Brooklyn. He doesn't want to do that anymore. So with Kyrie not playing for at least half of the games, Kevin Durant out, I can see why James Harden would want out. But as Sean said, this is quite troubling as a Nets fan just because we gave up so much for James Harden he's a superstar and if you don't sign and trade him at least you're going to be really really empty in terms of like roster spots next year just because you have a very top loaded roster but beyond that you're going to be losing a lot of depth so I think satisfying James Harden right now is the absolute priority get to the playoffs make sure that whatever he needs along with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is satisfied because he's one of your main guys see the thing there though is that I feel like the reason why James Harden is unhappy, or at least according to these reports, is because, you know, whatever, the city of Brooklyn, maybe his problems with Kyrie. I don't think it's anything on the court the Nets management or coaching staff can do to satisfy him because I think he's still getting his share of the ball. You know, I don't think his play has really diminished because of that. You know, it's not like he's taking a smaller low role um, compared to earlier in the season where he was kind of taking a step back from Kevin Durant. But now that Kevin Durant's been injured, I feel like he's been the number one guy and Kyrie's kind of been playing, um, you know, second fiddle to him. Even though James Harden, you know, he picked up his play, uh, I think at least the last couple of months of the season, obviously we know the first month was still an adjustment, you know, to the new rules, the new ball, whatever it was. I just don't know what the Nets management can do to solve these issues that James Harden is having in Brooklyn, because it really doesn't seem to be anything uh, regarding his play style or role management. The only thing I can think of is if Kyrie Irving comes back as a full-time player and James Harden is more satisfied and he believes that Kyrie is more committed to winning, 
whatever it is, uh, down the stretch, I don't know if Kyrie, I don't think Kyrie's going to get vaccinated, right? I think that's the big problem here that he's not playing enough games. I really don't think he's going to get vaccinated. So whatever his problems are with Kyrie, I don't think they'll be solved unless Kyrie changes vaccine status. And regarding whether he doesn't like Brooklyn as a city, I just think that's kind of a random reason for him to leave Brooklyn because you're in New, you're in New York. You left Houston, which is a pretty big market uh, city as well, right? So you came here to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And if you're not satisfied with the team, it's just a weird reason because we know how he jumped ship in Houston. Are we going to see something similar to that from him this offseason? And, you know, now there's reports that he's willing to explore that in the offseason, you know, outside of Brooklyn. And that's great news for Daryl Morey, who's been clamoring for him to come there. And I think Ben Simmons is going to be held past this trade deadline if this news holds true. So it's just a very confusing situation right now in Brooklyn. No, well, I was, I was actually just, yeah. I actually, I do have a question for Rohan. Like he just said, um, Kyrie Irving's vaccine status is a big like thing that's been going on. Do you think James Harden is looking at the long-term outlook for the city of Brooklyn and New York and even next season and the season after that, New York could possibly have a vaccine mandate. And that means that Kyrie would not be able to play in all their home games next season and the year after that, or for however long this pandemic continues to exist. And that could also factor into something that James Harden, it pushes him towards leaving Brooklyn. Yeah, I think for sure he's frustrated that he's not getting enough playing time with Kyrie because we know how dynamic of a player Kyrie has been. And he's been pretty solid, though they've been four and three um, in the seven games that he's played. He's put up pretty good stats. So, yeah, I think that could be an issue for him. And maybe that's a reason why he wants to test out free agency. But the part of the report which confused me was that he wasn't satisfied with the city of Brooklyn, which I think is a weird reason for him to want out. Because, like I said, you're in the middle of New York. Like, what else do you want? As, and we know James Harden is that party type of dude. He loves going to strip clubs and stuff like that. So you know, Brooklyn's <laughs> the place. But regarding your question, I do think that that is a concern because if Kyrie can't play those games come next season, let's say that they have a series against the Knicks, right? There is a, there is a very real possibility that Kyrie won't be able to play any, any of those games in that series. So I do think James Harden just kind of trying to stir up a little drama with this report from his camp. But I wouldn't, I'm not at all surprised that this report came out because he's not, he's the type of guy to explore his options. You know, there's a reason why he went out of Houston when he was the guy in Houston, he could have been the most highest paid NBA player in history, right? They're offering what a $500 million contract for him to stay. So it's not about the money for him. It's more about the play style, I guess, but we know his ego gets in the way. We've seen it before. And this is what's happening right now. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know Brooklyn was one of the better places for a strip club, but maybe James Harden, if he's listening to this, maybe he'll change his mind to stay in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, speaking on the Philadelphia 76ers, of course, and Daryl Morey, never ending saga over there. I mean, I think that everyone should be an expert on that front by now, if you are minutely a basketball fan, because I feel like everyone just knows about this Ben Simmons stuff. But basically yeah like that that's the thing like Daryl Morey has been he's had his sights set on James Harden for far too long right now and of course this goes back to their time um in Houston together but one thing that's very very interesting is that Sixers co-owner Michael Rubin is apparently tight with James Harden's close friend of course rapper Little Baby so it's very very interesting to see like the NBA like what I love about the NBA in comparison to all other sports at least within this nation is that you can literally make the most random connections and you can recruit a player. Like that's just how it is. And like, I, I genuinely do believe that James Harden, the thing about this news of him coming out doesn't necessarily mean he's leaving Brooklyn. It just means he's open to the idea of it. And if there is a bigger shark per se, or you want to say a smaller fish, whatever it is that comes in and swoops in and gets James Harden. Like, yeah, that's probably what that that's probably what could happen. But um, I think also in regards in regards to this entire situation, though, as Yash was saying, you know, how James Harden, you know, I like he wanted to go to the Nets. All right. Let's get that straight. First of all, it's not like Houston. He was forced out any kind of way. He chose to leave Houston. And now it's like, all right, you're choosing to leave a situation. You need to understand that, like, OK, are you going to a place that is better for you? And at the time, clearly, James Harden thought that. So I feel like the only thing could be that maybe it's Steve Nash's coaching style or something, or just the way that James Harden has been playing basketball since he reached Brooklyn. Obviously it's not the same fear, the beard or whatever you want to say that it was in Houston. So I don't know if he wants to get back to being the number one guy or the face of the franchise, because keep in mind the moment that he was traded at Houston, 
You know, in OKC, yes, he had Kevin Durant and Russell else, but he was never the face. So the moment he went to Houston, he already became the face of the franchise without him playing a minute. Like, that's just how it was. He was forced in the spotlight, and he embraced it, and he literally took over the league. Now when you go to, now when you go to Brooklyn, though, it's Kevin Durant's team. It's Kyrie Irving's team. You know, it was – I'm – Yes, some people could make the argument. I don't think that James Harden is ever the first player that comes to mind when you think about the Nets right now. Like, I would be surprised if James Harden is the first name you think of when you think about the Nets. But um, obviously, the Philadelphia 76ers, that, that's where things get complicated because as a Sixers fan, now you're thinking, all right, we're 27 and 19, 7 and 3 on their last 10 games. We have Joel Embiid playing at a, basically an MVP level. I think it's safe to say the MVP'd conversation is back for him. So if you are a Sixers fan, get, get, like give, give me your perspective over here. Like just hypothetically put on our Sixers cap. We all are Sixers fans right now. What are we thinking? Trade deadline's coming up. Are we going to throw away this season and be like, oh, James Harden, there's a 50-50 shot at getting him next year. Should we, should we build for the future? Should we do this? Should we do that? Or do we trade Ben Simmons and try and compete this year? Cause we are just one spot sitting out of the top five in the Eastern conference yet again, you know, what's it going to be? So are we, are we looking at this from Philly fans perspectives or Philly management perspective? I want the fan perspective because okay. Management perspective. We're going to go for James Harden nine out of 10 times. I want to say exactly. I want to so, say, but, but from the fan perspective, I think as a Philly fan, especially if you've been a Philly fan for a while, you've you've been waiting for the next season, for the next season. And, you know, that entire process mantra that the organization went through for a while. And when it feels like the guy who is the process, Joel Embiid, is having his best season by far. He's an MVP candidate. Probably you can argue that he's the leading MVP candidate at this point. And the process is having his best season. And now you still have a dude that is kind of wasting a roster spot that could get you the final missing piece to a championship. And as a Philly fan, that would really bug me if they don't, because I know what happens to fans. They get really emotionally involved with the team. What happened with the Warriors last year and Warriors fans clamoring that we were, that Warriors management was wasting Steph's career or his Steph's prime, but you know, they make the right decisions in the off season. There's a lot more things that can happen. So what the fans want and what the management want will be kind of different. I think management's probably going to take the smarter route. They're going to assess the situation with James Harden. And if they know that they have a shot, I would absolutely keep Ben Simmons for James Harden because that is that is a goldmine. And if you compare Joel Embiid in his prime with even a declining James Harden, that is a duo that can compete with the best team in the league. I'm like iffy here because if I were a Philly fan, I'm kind of furious at Daryl Morey for being this stubborn in an attempt to give away Ben Simmons. I think it's a little bit far-fetched to think that there's a 75% chance that James Harden comes to Philly next season. You know, despite, you know, his ties with Maury, despite how bad Maury wants him, despite the run they'll make at him if he decides to opt out of Brooklyn, I just think it's so wasteful to look at Joel Embiid right now, who is averaging 33, he's damn near averaging 34 points, shooting 55% from the field and shooting 42% from three-point range um, over the last five weeks, he's playing at an absolutely incredible level. This is the best I've ever seen him play. And I think it's crazy to look at this and be like, you know what, let's wait until next year. Cause you don't know if he's going to play like this next year. We know his injury history, right? We know that he, you know, falls from games sometimes because he has these stretches of uh, games in the season where he's just hurt. And this has been a constant uh, pattern during throughout his career. So there's no guarantee that next season he's going to keep playing like this. You know, you need to take advantage of what there is now and, Philly has been at this kind of peak uh, for the last three or four seasons where they just haven't been able to go, get over the hump, right? It's either the second round. Um, I think a couple of years ago in the bubble was the first round where they got swept. It's just, they've never been able to get over that hump. Um, and I think it's just very wasteful to look at the season with Joel Embiid and be like, you know what? He'll probably do this next year. Cause I, as good of a player as he is, I don't know if he can continue doing this because we've never seen him go off this well, right? It's just been a crazy offensive tear. He's their entire offense. His usage rate is at 56.1%, which is the highest um, since James Harden in 2019, which was the highest, I think, in the last 20 years. So you can't look at this season and be like, let's wait for James Harden. I, I, don't, I don't really agree with that. Well, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying because from a, from a fan perspective, obviously right now it's a tough situation. But once the season is over, 
if the Sixers were in the second round and lost in a game seven once again, like they did last year, the Hawks, or if they somehow, somehow find their way in the Eastern Conference finals and take it to five or six games, and they didn't make that trade, like of Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is still on the roster sitting somewhere, probably sipping something, whatever it is. He's completely out of the picture. Sixer fans are probably going to be punched in the air at that point because they're going to be like, what if we made a trade for Ben Simmons this season? We could have gone to the NBA Finals and who knows who they would have played and how everything would have mapped out. It turns into a big what if. However, if this team goes to the second round and exits in six games, seven games, so be it. Whatever, a second round exit overall, once again, boom, the James Harden situation comes into play. It's, it's that simple. So it kind of comes down to, you know, if, if they do get, if they eventually do get James Harden, we're all going to be like, wow, Daryl Morey, you are a genius for holding on to Ben Simmons for so damn long. Because I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not just us, but I think that Rohan most vocally has been coming for Daryl Morey's head. You know what he's saying? Like, he's like, he's like, I'm tired of this stuff. And like, I totally agree with you. You know, right now we all are on the same page, but give it a couple of months and if James Harden is eventually a sixer because of Ben Simmons, it's it's absolutely a genius move. I think it's playing chess instead of checkers at that point. Fair enough. I, I still don't know if Embiid's going to play this next season. I just He's such a good player, but his injury concerns just throughout the career have just been – he's that type of guy where he will get injured at least once a season. You know, like it happens. Like, I don't want to wish it on anyone, but – it's just how his career has been going. It's how his body is. You know, he missed the first couple of seasons when he was first drafted, right? He didn't even play for the first couple of years. So yeah. I think, you know, you're right. Like, I think if they end up getting James Harden next season, um, it'll be a great move. But I just want to ask you this. Is this Philly team a championship contender? Because if they, if they are not championship contenders, you know, then it's fine. Wait until next season. But I think right now with the way Embiid's playing, they can win the East. I really, I really think so. I, I believe so too. I mean, I don't know. I don't see why not, but I genuinely do believe that once, once this comes into postseason play, it kind of becomes all right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just eyeballing it over here. Like, like, how are you going to keep up with the nets down the stretch with Kevin Durant back and healthy? How are you going to keep up with the bulls who not only have like the quality of players, but the quantity of them too. And Miami Miami just seems to always have fight in them. And if anything, their roster has gotten better this season, you know, with PJ Tucker, um, of course, Bam Adebayo being healthy, Tyler Hero coming off the bench. Like this, this team looks great. And I mean, Milwaukee Bucks, like we already know what they can do. I feel like Giannis can go possession for possession with them beating. And if push comes to shove, we know who we're taking in that fight, you know? So you keep up with them by making a trade. That's how you keep up with them. You got to, you got to have, yeah. you got to have that piece, you know, but I think it's just, obviously very dependent on Maury, whether he thinks that this team is good enough to win a championship this year without making a trade for Ben Simmons. If he thinks that this roster right now can compete with them four teams, I don't know if Embiid himself can carry it. Like, yeah, I think they're championship contenders, but having that trade, I think they could really get someone good. And maybe this is the year for them to go over the top. I don't know. I mean, I agree with what both of you said, but just to kind of play the devil's advocate here, the East is just so damn jam-packed that even the way the 76ers are playing now and as hot as Joel Embiid is, there's too many, like, teams, like the Bucks, the Nets, the Bulls, the Heat, that, like, you have to overcome. Like, even if you beat the Heat in the first round, then you play the Bulls in the second round, then the Nets in the third round, that's way too many, like, just really deep, great rosters that you have to overcome to win the East. And then you play a team like the Suns or the Warriors in the finals to actually win a championship. And the odds of that just seem a little too low. Joel Embiid still, I think, a couple years away from that super duper stardom where he can fully just lead a team through the playoffs. So I still think that they should wait for James Harden because that way, not only are you adding to your team, but it's also addition by subtraction because the Nets, who are arguably the best team in the East, lose their second best player. So that could be a huge shift in the Eastern Conference standings for next year's season. Yeah, we'll definitely have to see how everything, you know, kind of plays out down the stretch. But um, I guess finally getting to a team that really has caught our eye and continues to catch our eyes, the Boston Celtics. They've kind of moved up in these rankings. It's had six and four in their last 10 games. But there's there's been a tad bit of buzz recently coming out of Boston that this team might be open to actually moving someone. 
or may, being active at the trade deadline. And that, that's, it's very interesting because keep in mind, Boston has uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, obviously the two biggest names. Um, Tatum seems very, very unlikely to be moved. If anyone should be moved, it's probably going to be Jalen Brown. But the thing is that they've been extremely reluctant to ever break up that duo. But basically from what is kind of buzzing around the league, it's kind of like, okay, like, are they going to be able to move or are they going to make a move for one of these guys like on the market? And here, here's the exact thing. The Celtics have reportedly come to the conclusion that changes need to be made and have been extremely active in trade talks. So when I interpret that, I don't think that they're like fully willing to trade one of their two stars. I think that they're tra- willing to trade like a Marcus Smart or a Dennis Schroeder to get a third quote unquote star. If, if, if that's their perception of things like, oh, we can get maybe like a Jeremy Grant that can like solidify our front court rotation and then help us make another Western, I mean, Eastern Conference finals push. But like, even then, I still think the Celtics are kind of stuck in the no man's land where I agree with Sean, you have to strongly suggest trading one of the two J's because that would just give you so much value that you can build around Jalen or Jason, whoever you decide to keep. Because I'm still in the boat that Jalen Brown is such a good player. You could absolutely entertain trading Jason Tatum because his name will bring you more assets back than Jalen Brown will. And that might be the key to Boston Celtics, like depth issues and rotational issues. Get a very solid point guard, some rotational wing depth, and then another center. And now you have yet another contender in, in the Eastern Conference. I think they're trading Marcus Smart. I really think they're going to trade him because there's been buzz for a while. Now, even last season, I remember they were going to trade Marcus Smart because he's kind of that, you know, short kind of short guard who gives you that defensive presence, which a lot of teams can use. Like he's a guy who can be valuable on a championship contender and his name brings enough power where you can get, I don't know, you can't really get a Jeremy Grant from because I think the Jeremy Grant's volume is just so much higher. You know, he's not the best shooter. I think he's the worst effective field point field goal percentage among 10 Celtics who have attempted at least 150 shots. Um, But I think that Marcus Smart is going to be gone. I don't see them trading either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, uh, even though, you know, there's reports that there is trade buzz and they're looking maybe to move one of them. But we've also seen reports that Brad Stevens said that he does not want to trade either of them. And we know that he's coached both of them. He knows their playing styles. He believes that this can go all the way, right? I don't think it will. I don't think it will, obviously. Um, and they're kind of in that dead mindset where they're 24 and 24, uh, basically, yeah, they're at 500, right? So I don't think they're championship contenders at this point. So they're probably just going to make a move to, you know, get into that playoff picture. Maybe they can make a a first round upset. I don't see it happening, but I think they have to be active at the deadline going forward, because if they continue with this roster past the deadline, I think that tandem of, uh, smart and Horford can be flipped into players who better suit the Celtics uh, strategies and their playing style going forward and maybe give Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum more help, uh, especially in the front court. Yeah, I think front, front court is definitely what they're targeting because uh, there's I did report on the panels as well that they're trying to explore an Al Horford trade to get front court help. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see kind of like how things play out in Boston down the stretch. Um, but some other trade buzz, I guess, in the Eastern Conference, just to keep note of, is that offers apparently are not pouring in for Pistons' Jeremy Grant at the trade deadline, even though he was a pretty hot candidate. Um, other than that, Matisse Tybel, he's completely off limits in the Ben Simmons trade talks. I know that his name's kind of popped up a couple of times. Um, really not too much over there. But I guess moving on to the Western Conference at this point in time, Phoenix Suns still sitting atop the uh, Western Conference right now is the number one seed, um, similar to how they were last week. But now all of a sudden they are up three and a half games on the Golden State Warriors. And they're starting to mount this win streak again. You know how it was earlier in the season that Golden State eventually broke. But now they are nine and one their last 10 games and they've won seven straight. So Phoenix looks great um, as usual. They kind of look like I, get, I feel like they're kind of about to run away with the number one seed in the Western Conference. I know that we said that about Golden State, but keep in mind, that was before, you know, the Draymond injury and, of course, Stephen Curry's shooting woes that we're about to get to in just a moment. Um, but I think that Phoenix, you know, there's there's really not a whole lot to say. I mean, they, they look great. Um, really nothing bad to really come out of that. Um, I guess the DeAndre Ayton situation is kind of, you know, water under the bridge at this point in time. We're going to see revisit that maybe in the offseason, of course. But 
moving on to Golden State, you know, they're 34 and 13, second in the Western Conference, five and five in the last 10. They have won two straight, but Stephen Curry has been the topic of discussion. He has just not looked great this season, um, at least in the in the last couple games. You know, he's had some shooting woes um, for the most part, and his worst shooting performances of his career, minimum of 20 attempts. Hear this out, 4 of 21 this season, 5 of 24 this season, 5 of 21 this season, 5 of 21 in 2010, then 7 of 28 this season, and 5 of 20 this season. So it's it's Steph Curry's year, but it's not Steph Curry's year, if you know what I'm saying. But, you know, that, that that's how it's looking for Golden State. Do we think that um, Golden State can start falling down a little bit? And I know we talked about this last week in regards to more injuries and Clay Thompson kind of easing his way back in the lineup. But now it becomes, hey, the greatest shooter in the NBA is not playing like the greatest shooter in the NBA uh, just yet. So is Stephen Curry's play going to potentially drop this team now as an – as an added factor. I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that the Warriors success is where Steph goes, they go as hot as he got in the beginning of the season, October, November, when everyone said he was going to run away with the MVP, the Warriors were run away the best team in the league offensively and then defensively because of Draymond and everything they do on the defensive end. But Steph Curry's kind of not kind of, he's been really bad over the last month. Like I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. He's shooting 29.9% from three and 35% from the field. So it's by far one of his worst shooting months so far of his career in January is almost over. So I kind of just hope that this prolonged slump that he's been in is about to end because it has to end at some point. I'm not really worried per se about Steph Curry because he's the greatest shooter of all time. We all know that. And he will get a shot back. I think I saw a video on Instagram of him shooting during the Warriors shoot around yesterday and he missed four straight threes in shoot around, not even like a scrimmage. That might've been the first time I've ever seen Steph miss more than three threes in a non-game situation and it was just like wow like I feel like at this point he's kind of in his own head that that record kind of did get to him a lot more than he's willing to let on and he just has to remember who he is he'll eventually get back on track and kind of the silver lining to all of this is Steph got his big ass slump out of the way in January so that when the playoffs come around I don't expect him to shoot another second month of 29% so you know it's 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 painful right now but I trust Steph and he'll be fine over the long run Yo, this has been bad, bro. He's been straight up bad. I got to say, like, ever, not even since January. It's been since November 30th. He's been shooting awful. I don't know what's going on. I, I agree with Yash. I do think it's a mental problem. Uh, he kind of has some mental block. I think maybe the rotations are kind of messing with him a little bit that Kerr uh, puts him through, but I don't think they're going to change that anytime soon. And the big, another big reason is that Draymond Green has been out of the lineup um, at least for the last couple of weeks, right? So January, he hasn't, Draymond, Clay, and Steph still haven't played a single game together. And, you know, Clay was out, I think, for a little bit because of a knee tweak, but I think that should be fine. I think the big problem right now is Draymond's injury because I've heard a lot of conflicting reports about uh, how serious injury is, whether he's going to need surgery. Kerr says he, that he doesn't think so, but then there was a report from Mark Spears, I believe, yesterday that there's no light at the end of the tunnel for this Draymond Green injury, which I read that and my heart skipped a beat. You know, like that's not what you want to hear as a Warriors fan, you know, as a fan of basketball. And I think that Steph is really missing Draymond because we know that the impact that Draymond has with on the offensive side with his playmaking, right? He's not the best scorer, obviously, but Steph really uh, not relies on him, but really feeds off of him, feeds off of his energy, feeds off of his great passing. Draymond has one of the best IQs in the league uh, for a, a point four to say. And the defense has held up without Draymond. I think they're still fourth defensively over the last eight games since he's played. But the problem is that I think that Steph's really not, you know, Kerr doesn't like, like to put him, play him on ball. And the way that he's playing right now, without that elite playmaker that Draymond is, Steph is still struggling with shooting. So I, I just want to ask you guys this. Since we don't know the extent of Draymond's injury, and now, you know, Yash brought this up a couple of podcasts ago about whether I distrust Warriors management now that they've been kind of hiding the Wiseman situation, kind of downplaying that. And now it seems like they're downplaying the Draymond injury as well. Is this going to impede the Warriors championship run? Because I think without Draymond, there's no shot at the Warriors winning championship. Well, yeah, well, I, I was I was going to think that Yash was going to jump in here, but it's fine. I'll, I'll take this. I 
I don't want to say there's no shot at it, um, but there's but no I shot. do I I do agree in terms of like ultimately like yes like ultimately if it comes down to like you guys are in the NBA finals somehow you're in the Western Conference finals then yeah like defensively depends on who you're playing I do agree with that based on just what Draymond brings to the team you know it's so much that he doesn't like doesn't show up on the stat sheet that he brings to the squad but it's kind of like we need to see where this team is, I think, down the stretch if, you know, more stuff kind of comes out about this Draymond injury because we don't know what the status yet is on James Wiseman. I know that he's, you know, trying to ramp himself up back to a return, um, but we're going to see what, how all that stuff plays out. But the thing is that if Steph Curry and Klay Thompson get it together sooner than later, like that's tough for me to believe that this golden state team should still not finish top three in the Western conference and see if they can make a deep playoff run. Um, defensively. Yes. This team will struggle, but you just noted that without Draymond, this team is still a top five unit. So we're going to see how everything plays up But Josh, take it away. Yeah. I agree with Rohan. There's like no chance, like not a shot in the world that they even make the finals unless like Steph Curry goes nuclear, like he did last April. But besides like a, Steph Curry showing that he's the greatest shooter ever. They they don't win much without Draymond because I've said this so many times. Draymond is so important to their defensive side as Steph Curry is to their offensive side that the Warriors just can't run their defensive schemes without Draymond Green. And a big reason of why they've been the Warriors that people know and love is because of their defense. People fall in love with threes, but this team from their dynastic days to even like kind of their bad years last year excluding that 115 year season they were always a top five ranked defense or maybe even a top 10 ranked defense but they've been so good defensively and without Draymond none of that happens so you can like survive two weeks without him when I say survive like just play 500 ball he'll come back and you'll like kind of go with the ebbs and flows but if Draymond is out for like a month two months maybe maybe even until like March or April then I'm gonna severely worry about the like the Warriors long-term success, because that's going to hinder Clay Thompson's integration into the team. Because what really hurts is we saw we've only seen eight seconds of Draymond, Steph, and Clay on the floor together. And that was when Draymond like committed the foul and started this entire injury process. So it's going to be a while until we see the three of them originally on the court together. And that's going to like tell me how good the Warriors can actually be. And until then, I just don't want to say yes. I mean, what Sean said, I agree with a little bit too, but that also hinges on Clay Thompson fully becoming Clay Thompson. And again, and I love him, but he does look not the exact same. And I'm, I want to give him time, but there's always a chance that it doesn't happen. So we need Draymond. And like, I think there's no way around that. That's the problem though, right? Like Steph, at least if he was able to overcome the injury, uh, overcome Draymond's injuries absence with his prolific shooting, then it would be masked a little bit. And obviously Clay Thompson, like we're still giving him time, but he just hasn't looked the same either. So it's been like three, you know, negatives for the Warriors these last couple of weeks. Clay is still returning back to play. Steph is struggling like I've never seen him struggle. I've said this a couple of weeks ago. I've never seen him shoot this bad, and it's still happening. You know, this is close to six, six to eight weeks of him doing this. You know, and and then obviously third is the Draymond injury. So one, at least one or two out of them have to change. Hopefully, Draymond and Steph pick it up, and Clay doesn't have that much pressure to ramp up his offensive, you know, prowess again. But until then, I don't know if the Warriors are going to be the same, at least maybe until the All-Star break, honestly. Yeah, well, it's worth noting that this team has no current plans to add a center at the trade deadline. Um, that's stuff that kind of came out yesterday. Um, but another thing we don't need a center. Right? We have Loon God, bro. We got the best <laughs> center in the league. No, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of adding adding talent, because, like, we also don't – we just don't know what status is on James Wiseman, of course. I think that that's, like, the next, like, big domino to fall um, – in golden state um whenever he does return but you know in regards to stephen curry shooting too what was very very interesting as the jazz is that it was the seventh time um in nba history that a player uh has missed 12 plus threes and while only making one and the thing is that steph curry was one of 13 um against the jazz and he's actually the first player in nba history to win the game ultimately and when missing 12 plus three is only making one so very very interesting side over there not 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 fun to hear that if you're a Steph Curry fan but if you're a Warrior fan whatever a win is a win um ultimately but you know we're seeing teams like you know the Utah Jazz and the Grizzlies kind of 
kind of you know trickle in there um and the Grizzlies did of course beat Golden State I want to say like that week that Clay Thompson came back um so that's something to note that this team is nearing that number two spot and Memphis kind of seems like here to stay and your job Morant being like an MVP candidate and all this season um but down the list over here you know you have the Mavs they're eight and two in their last 10 kind of moving up there but you know again there's a huge difference between that fourth and that fifth spot then at six you got the Nuggets with Nikola Jokic playing once again an MVP level having four triple doubles in the last five I believe and then the Timberwolves have kind of come up over here they're 0.500 seventh seed sitting right above the Los Angeles Lakers that I know we all love on this podcast. <laughs> and, um, you know, they are seven and three in their last 10. And of course uh, the Lakers, I feel like that's, that's the next team that we are going to talk about over here. The eighth seed. I mean, I, I really, I really don't really know what to say. I know that there's been Russell Westbrook trade rumors all of a sudden of him possibly going back to the Houston Rockets. Um, no matter how anticlimactic that sounds. Um, and John Wall would hypothetically come to the Lakers, but they would have to give a lot of draft picks for that to happen um, and moving those two hefty contracts back and forth. But it kind of becomes like, you know, I, I think that it's safe to say that the argument can and should be made that, yes, John Wall hypothetically could be an upgrade over Russell Westbrook based on how bad Russ has been for this team. It's kind of like anything could honestly make this team better. So it's kind of like, all right, are fans going to be open to that idea? I don't know, but this team sits at the eighth seed. You know, what do you, what are you guys thinking? I mean, like, firstly, they have Anthony Davis coming back. So that could per se like change their entire season I'm not saying it will because when we saw him he wasn't looking great but sometimes like an extended period of time off just gives an athlete like a mental break from their usual like routine and allows him to just regroup so there's a chance that Anthony Davis could come back become the old Anthony Davis from like 2020 or even like New Orleans and that would absolutely change the Lakers season from here on out so as a Warriors fan I hope that doesn't happen but like you know as an Anthony Davis and just basketball fan like that would be really great to see his like re-resurgence but if that doesn't, the Lakers are still dead in the water. You have all the same problems that we've talked about all year long. And I think every incremental Lakers loss, Russ, uh, trade Russ, like starts trending on Twitter. So it's kind of funny to see everyone just using Russ as the full scapegoat for the Lakers like decline. But while he is a big part of it, it's not just him. It's the overall team lack of offense, lack of defense, lack of effort. And I think that's just not something that can't be really solved with a trade. It has to be from the inside out. And I, I don't trust the Lakers this season to really do much about that. Yeah, I agree. I think Russell Westbrook has been playing bad for majority of the season, but I'm with Yash. Like he's kind of just become the scapegoat for all Laker fans. And they think that their problems are going to be solved if they trade him away, but it's really not like, you know, they, they called for this trade in the off season and they thought it could work. Everyone, I think most people knew it wouldn't work despite the star power name that Anthony Davis, LeBron James and Russell Westbrook have. And the problem is that they've ranked 23rd defensively since Christmas, you know, and that isn't really on Russell Westbrook for the most part, you know, and I don't think they're going to solve that with any trade, regardless of whether it's to, you know, John Wall or not. We haven't seen John Wall play in what, like, over two years now it's been so long since he's actually stepped foot on the court uh especially since he hasn't returned because you know the rockets are doing whatever with him on the on the on the bench but it would just be funny to see a, a rust back in a houston uniform but i don't think john wall gives this lakers team a complete upgrade but obviously you know sean could still wear that jersey that's sitting on his wall behind if russell westbrook gets traded back to the rockets yeah, well, it's 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 a zero on it, so it's Jalen Green now. But maybe <laughs> maybe he'll maybe he'll take number four when he goes to Houston. Hypothetically, go back to a high school number that he donned in uh, in Washington. But we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I mean, I guess that'll give me a more current um, update to my Russell Westbrook jersey um, in the background. But um, moving on to, I believe finally, I want to talk about. I guess the, the Los Angeles Clippers. They're kind of like the last team that's um, worth talking about, at least in the Western Conference. Given the fact that, of course, Kawhi Leonard, he's obviously out basically for the entire regular season. There's optimism he could return very, very late in the regular season or possibly for a playoff run. But a playoff run is starting to feel a little bit distant. This team is four and six in the last 10, 23 and 25 overall in the season, sitting at the ninth spot right below their other Los Angeles neighbors. 
And the thing is, Paul George right now, surgery is an option for, I believe he has an elbow injury. Not sure exactly what the diagnosis is of that, but surgery is an option and that would sideline him for the entire season. So if they go ahead with that, kind of diminishes the hopes of the Clippers this season. I believe that they might be able to possibly get a play-in, but even if they do make the playoffs, they're going to be playing a team like the Suns or Golden State. And I honestly have like a sweep happening in the first round if they were to make it. Um, granted that Paul George does uh, undergo surgery and doesn't return the season, because if that also does happen, um, I, I, can, I can guarantee that Kawhi Leonard will not play this year. Because it's kind of like, what? Well, what's the point in having Kawhi come back if he's not going to be able to coexist with his running mate? And let alone, he, there's not even a proper roster around him to even make it out of the first round of the uh, playoffs. So that's kind of like what it's looking like um, for the Clippers. I mean, a- any thoughts from you guys um, on them? Um, you should be ecstatic that the Clippers are having a full downfall and that they should just shut down because. OKC holds their first round pick this year. So that, I mean, de- yeah, yeah. If they decide to just tank, I mean, they wouldn't really tank because you guys hold their pick, but there's really no light at the end of the tunnel just because I think you have to sit both of your stars out because if one's not playing due to injury, there's no risk in bringing the other one back prematurely. So just have Kawhi and Paul George regroup, re um. Uh, just make sure their injuries heal properly for next season. And you have both Kawhi and Paul George healthy for training camp. And now you can, again, compete in the West like you did last season. But the only downside to all that is, like I already said, you don't hold your draft pick. So there's no like really incentive in tanking unless you trade for another pick back. But so I personally think that the Clippers are just kind of in a position where you fight for a playoff spot. If it happens, it happens. And let's say some miracle run is able to be put on by Reggie Jackson and now Kawhi Leonard's ready in the second round. That could be a really nice story. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. We were, I remember a couple months ago, we were talking about maybe this Clippers team could be a dark horse in the playoff uh, race. You know, they were playing pretty well to start the season, but now they've become the first team to match their total losses from the 2021, the 20, 2020 to 2021 season when they were 47 and 25 and now they're 23 and 25. So, you know, like it's kind of crazy how fast it's all turned. Cause I remember Sean, especially was, you know, maybe putting in Paul George and possible MVP considerations and he was playing very well. You know, he really was, but they've just kind of fallen off a cliff um, over the last month and a half, I would say. And I think that it's just a very real possibility at this point, especially with news that Paul George might be getting surgery. I think that, it's more likely than not that he does get it. I would say it's a 75, 25, 75 being that he does get the surgery, especially because it doesn't look like they're going to do anything in the playoffs. They just don't seem, you know, powered enough, especially without Kawhi as well. I think that's pushing him to get the surgery now because like Yash said, maybe they just regroup for 2022, 2023 and have a run at it, especially with Kawhi's extension locked up. We There's no, um, you know, worry that Kawhi is going to dip ship now, right? Because he's been extended. Yeah. So they're a bottom five, a bottom three team, I believe in offensive rating. So there's just not much light at the end of the tunnel for this team. And I don't think that they do anything in the trade deadline either. So I don't know what you do, honestly, if you're the Clippers, because you have no hope for a draft pick either. So do you make a trade? Um, maybe try to get some of your young assets away and get maybe a win now piece for next season and kind of use like someone like maybe like Jeremy Grant, who could kind of integrate with the team without Paul George and Kawhi and see how that plays out. But I don't know if tanking is the thing, thing here, you know? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so either. I, think, I feel like the thing is that it's like you need to think about who do the Clippers have that they can move. And I feel like those two guys have already been moved, and that was Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams um, for the most part. So it's kind of like right now looking at this roster too, even if you go out and somehow get Jeremy Grant, um, you have to think about, all right, when Paul George and Kawhi come back, Jeremy Grant's not going to be the number one option. Remember – we talked about this, I believe, last week or the week before, how Jeremy Grant wanted to be the number one option on whichever team he goes to, or the offense to kind of be around him. You know, that that's just how he wants to, I guess he wants to be like the Joel Embiid of a team or a Giannis of a team, even though he's not that caliber player. That's that's what he wants to do. That's where he wants to go. So basically, you know, with that being said, though, I think the interesting thing about the Clippers is that they they, they have Terrence Mann. They have Reggie Jackson. Perhaps they can be playoff heroes. I don't think that they will. Um, of course, Kawhi Leonard, probably not coming back either. 
it it puts into perspective though can the clippers kind of be like the golden state warriors of next year and like i know that sounds really really weird to say but hear me out it's like kind of Kawhi leonard's like the clay thompson he has his acl injuries probably not gonna return you know how steph went down mid-season with that wrist injury it's kind of like paul george kind of going away so it's like these clippers are going to be like silent giants they might miss the playoffs but next year like they're going to be the hype squad in the west i want to say they're getting everyone back obviously they don't have draft picks so that's that's a downside to this it's basically going to be the same roster returning but it's kind of like that nostalgia of oh my god Kawhi is back oh my god paul george is back i mean it's not the same because like we also had like Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole come in, Kamingo Wiseman. So they don't have the picks that they gave up for Paul George. But yeah, I definitely see the correlation there. And if I'm the Clippers, like players that aren't injured and they're just kind of playing for nothing at this point, I would just personally just play for my stats, try to push up my value as much as possible. And if you're a free agent, then you can get your bag. And if you're not, you're just driving up your value for the Clippers to trade you if they eventually want to for like to a better position in the NBA. Yeah, like I said, I don't know what the Clippers do because they don't have the picks. So that's why I was pushing for a trade. But, you know, maybe I don't, I, I haven't really looked into the fit of Jeremy Grant, but obviously he wants to be the number one option. So I don't think that's possible. So if you're a Clippers fan, this is a tough way, if, especially if Paul Jordan sees you pretty much have nothing to look forward to. Yeah, no, most certainly. I think that Rohan, it just sounded so funny when you said that because it's kind of like, you just seem like this Clippers looks so hopeless. You're like, I don't know what to do with this nah, team. But they really do. It is. <laughs> It, it is what it is, but um, you know, that's all that we got for you guys today. Uh, for the most part, that's our wrap for this week. Um, I just want to give a really, really quick shout out um, for tomorrow. Of course, um, Kobe Bryant and Gigi, their uh, death anniversary is coming up, but I don't want to phrase it like that. I think that their memory will live on forever um, in all of our hearts and the NBA's uh, hearts and, you know, I mean, you, you, you guys, what I'm saying, it's a very, very, very tough, very tough um, time, I guess, like it, no one's really gotten over that um, in a while. But that's, that's, I guess, how we're going to conclude this podcast and want to end on a very, very sad note over there. But stay tuned for more uh, next week coming to you live. And of course, divisional round wrap up and NFC championship, AFC championship preview from Rohan and I coming later this week. So that's all that we got for you guys. Stay tuned for more at the panelist.pod.